ultimately about the instruction and the edification of other believers. Even when we come to church, not that we're getting out our little sermon notes and we're preaching sermons to each other as we come in, you know. <laughs> it's not like that, but it's, we are instructing. We ought to be able to come to church and be talking about the things of God and show interest in other people's lives and see how God is working and we're sharpening iron, sharpening iron, provoking one another to love and good work, speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. We're edifying, we're serving one another. There's, in, there's teachers right now helping in Sunday school, who are instructing our young people. If I had a raise of hands right now, most of us would raise our hand and say there is a Sunday school teacher somewhere in our life, or a junior church teacher, or a children's church teacher, or a youth pastor, or somebody in the church who spoke the truth to our life, who influenced us, who edified us, who encouraged us, who by speaking the truth into our life, yes, by example, living the truth, but also by teaching it, we would say that person helped me in my spiritual walk. We, could, we would probably all raise our hands. I know I would. I'd raise all, all of my hands and all my fingers. Because <laughs> there's been so many people. I did a wedding this week, and I saw people there who had been an influence in my life for many years. What a blessing to go back and to do a wedding for a former student and to talk and shake hands with people. And people walk up to me and shake my hand and say, how, are, how is your ministry? People who influenced my life, who spoke to my life, who instructed me. I'm so thankful for that. We have that blessing as a body of Christ to do that with one another. That's what Paul is saying. You want to go out and you want to show off. You have this gift. You're not even exercising it properly. And then you want to kind of brag about it and act like you're so spiritual. And Paul's saying, eh, that is not at all what giftedness is all about. And we live in a celebrity culture, an entertainment culture. And I feel like sometimes that Christianity, that evangelicalism in the broader sense, is about showing off. I can outdo your experience. And that's what we're getting into here. As we look at this, we talked about this last week in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Good men, good Bible scholars will disagree. I've read commentaries. I grew up and I still lean very heavily to the position that the perfect in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 is the word of God, the scriptures. As the word of God is complete, the need for the gift of tongues vanishes away. They shall cease, literally is what it says. Excuse me. They shall cease. They will end in and of themselves. Like that car that I mentioned last week, those I enjoyed playing with growing up. And you pull that car back, and it winds itself up, and then you let it go, and it takes off. All right? That was, you know, back before we had all the remote controls and everything else and the video games, but... You might still be able to find them, those little wind-up toys, and you pull them back, and eventually they wind, they, they wind themselves out. In a sense, that's what tongues was. The rope, the hose on the reel, eventually it's used up, it's usefulness, it's purpose. Okay, That's the idea there. Good, again, good, good men, good Bible scholars disagree about the perfect. I, again, I lean towards the Bible. Some refer to the second coming of Jesus, but... It's a neuter term, so 
it wouldn't necessarily be referring to a specific individual because it's a neuter term. So the second coming of Jesus is doubtful. Some say the glorified state in heaven, which of course means we have to bring in other biblical arguments for why tongues is not for today. And then some say the beginning of the church. Uh, but then we see tongues in Acts 8, well, implied in Acts 8 with the Samaritans. Acts 10, specifically mentioned with Cornelius, Gentiles, visibly seeing that they have been given the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 19, the converts of John the Baptist who have not yet received the Holy Spirit, showing that transition time, visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit being given even to Old Testament believers. Okay, so after those purposes are fulfilled, we don't need the gift of tongues. It was for unbelieving Israel, 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, so those are things, again, good men, good Bible scholars will disagree on some of those points. Questions or comments on any of that? Derek? The Jew first and also to the Greek. Yeah. Feast of Weeks, right. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yes. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. The Jews had taken and they were going out and then eventually the Gentiles and we see that transition in the book of Acts. And that gift had that purpose temporarily for that time period of transition. Yep, good point. Any other comments there? I'm going to go ahead and put these two points up. 1 Corinthians 14. Again, the King James translators were trying to help in their interpretation as they were translating. So they use the word unknown. You'll notice it's in italicized print. Why? It's added there by the King James translators for clarity. The idea of unknown means that the language had not previously been learned. So now they're speaking in a tongue that they have not gone to school for to learn. I'm sure that Heather would even appreciate if there was a giftedness of tongues in the sense that immediately people could just pick up sign language. I'm thankful for several in our church who are learning sign language, but I'm sure Heather would say, I I wish that there was the gift of of tongues in the sense of being able to immediately be able to pick up sign language. Um, We're going to have a ministry here in a few weeks or in about a month where uh, we're going to be ministering to uh, the hearing impaired and we're going to uh, do our very best to, to be effective servants for the Lord. We may have to pick up some sign language between now and then to help us with meeting and greeting and all. We don't want to have to depend on Heather and the others who come uh, completely. It's good for us. That's part of the service and the exercise of what God wants us to do. Sometimes we have to get outside our, ourselves and do things that are a little uncomfortable in order to be effective for the Lord, right? How many of us are really very effective around the house and getting things done if we just sit on the couch and sit on our phones and doom scroll? Dishes pile up, house gets dirty, things don't get fixed. I mean, some of us men, we have a honey-do list that is longer than our lifetime would last, right? Because there's always something with home ownership. There's always something to have to do outside or in the house. 
but it doesn't get done unless we get up and do it. And again, we have to exercise our gifts. We have to use them. So we have to identify them and serve the Lord with them. Unknown in the passage there, in the context, unknown would be, and I've got to get to the right place. I'm looking at my screen. Here we go. Unknown appears only before the singular use of the word with just a few exceptions. And when there's an exception, in other words, it's used with the plural, when there's that exception, I believe it's in three verses, it's talking about an individual exercising that gift individually. So unknown is there for clarification because it's not a language that had been previously learned. It doesn't mean, okay, it doesn't mean that there was a gibberish, a babble, that is an angelic tongue that only the truly spiritual who really know how to get the gift can speak in that higher language that nobody knows except the angels and God in heaven. Okay? Let's digest that for a minute. 1 Corinthians 14, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. What do people who argue for the gift of tongues, what do they say about that verse? I am speaking to God. I had a special worship time between me and God, and I reached an angelic language. I reached a place of such spiritual phenomenon that now only me and God are conversing with a language that is angelic. Think about that for a minute. Okay, then what do they want to do? They want to brag about it. And then they want to say that this is normative. If you are really, really spiritual and you really want to get close to God, then you've got to learn how to exercise this gift so that you can have this angelic language. But if somebody walks in and a bunch of people are all going, and people walk in and they're like, what is going on here? We're really in touch with God here. You aren't. You aren't. Is that, is, what does Paul say? You and God may know what is being mouthed, okay? But what does he say? Go on, verse number two. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Okay? Nobody understands. How are you edifying the church? How does that make you spiritual? What is the point? Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. It's not a gibberish babble language. It is an actual tongue, an actual language being spoken that shows that this group of people have received the Holy Spirit. But now Paul is saying, wait a minute, you've got this babble, this gibberish going on. And now you're claiming that that is an angelic language that's only between you and God and then you're trying to brag about it as if you're super spiritual. He's saying, that is a mystery. No one understands. How is that edifying the church? How is that building each other up? Okay, I'm not trying to be hypercritical of people who believe in the gift of tongues. There are some who believe in the excesses of it who are unsaved and have bought into heretical doctrine. There are some true believers Genuine believers, good people who believe in the gift of tongues. 
And I've met some of them, and they're sincere. But literally, there have been many times where you will talk to those people, and you'll argue from the Scripture about various things, and they will constantly come back to, but in my devotions, I had this, or in church the other day, I had this experience, and I spoke in this. So that's got to be something. God had to have anointed me. What's the danger in that? Isolation. What else? What's that? Feelings. What else? Superiority. I've now got an experience you didn't have if you were really at my level, and then it becomes excuse-making. Well, I can compromise in this area because I had this special time with God and I got this anointing. And there is a group, even within what I could call fundamental Christianity, biblical fundamentalism, whatever you want to call it, there's a group who, they won't say that you can speak in tongues, but they'll say you get a liquid love, an anointing from God, a second blessing, which raises you to a greater level of spirituality. And I know a church that got basic, almost got ruined by a pastor who came in and said, I got anointed with a second blessing. I experienced liquid love in my devotions and then he began to use that to declare to his church congregation, if you don't do everything that I say, and he became the fourth part of the Trinity, and he became a totalitarian dictator over his church, and everybody had to answer to him because he had now had this experience none of them had. And they had to attain unto him. Dangerous stuff. And it's disappointing when people begin to look to experiences and to feelings and they don't even know the word of God. They don't even know the truth. Carly? Okay. Okay, great point. And I put it in my notes. Good question, because I was getting carried away. Thank you for bringing me back to my notes. Three things. Demonic can be. Psychological. Okay, they've got into their minds a psychological idea that this is how they are to have a spiritual experience. This is how they have a special relationship with God. Not through fasting and prayer and study of the word and meditation on the word of God and on truth and spirit of God at work. They, they want to have this, yeah, and they have this gibberish, this emotional experience, this fit, and it's a psychological. In some cases, it's demonic. I would say in the excesses of, and I'm just going to go ahead and say, can I just say the charismatic movement? In much of the charismatic movement, I'm not trying to say that everybody that's in the charismatic movement is of Satan, but much of the charismatic movement appears to be demonic. Some of the things that you see going on on the TV and some of these videos and what's going on on the platform and you have people shaking, falling down and shaking, running around the building laughing and carrying on hysterically, weird things, okay? I would say demonic in some cases, psychological, and then in some cases, it's, it's literally, it's just an artificial group persuasion. It's that idea, if everybody is, if I were to stand here and I were to look up, oh, look at that. How many of us would, how many of us would come over here, what, what? And there could be nothing up there, Right? How many, how many of us have watched, and it's happened with adults, but how many of us have watched young people 
And I, I would, I would just, just watch, a, watch a little league or a t-ball game, okay? The ball rolls out into, goes out to second base. And the whole team runs to second base to get the ball. The coach has just told everybody 1,500 times, if the ball rolls to second base, the second baseman and the shortstop, maybe the pitcher or the pitcher's helper, can go after it. But what happens? The ball rolls to second, and, and you watch it, and you laugh, and the coaches are just like, oh. Everybody runs to the ball. Group persuasion, the power of peer pressure. We see it all the time. I mean, are we not, do we not, are we not trendy people? We had kids that would go to work at, I'm not saying it's wrong to work at any of these places, but we'd have kids that would go to, the popular kids would go to work at Chick-fil-A. Oh, everybody's got to go work at Chick-fil-A. If you are popular, if you are Chick-fil-A. And then it was Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, you. And then, and then some celebrity has some, I don't know, one time it was LeBron James, and he wore glasses without any lenses. Oh, my goodness, you should have seen the boys coming in. Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. Boys walking around, they had the same glasses that LeBron James had. Oh, can I, can I reach in there? Oh, that's your eyeball. Oh, what happened to the lens? Oh, well, you know. Oh, I think I saw LeBron James at his press conference. Well, it wasn't about that. It but what, what do we do? It happens in church and religious. Oh, they're, they're over there and they're having. Oh, I got to be doing that too. Right? We have to be careful. We've been told by our parents and we've told our kids and our grandkids, if everybody's walking off the cliff, would you go with them? If everybody's walking off the dock into the water, would you go with them? But we do it because it's spiritual. It looks, it can be emotion, feelings, artificial, group persuasion, peer pressure. It could be psychological. I feel like I need this. We have sometimes OCs. And we've got to have certain things a certain way, certain time, certain time, place, all the time. And we close the door or we wash our hands 15 times until it feels just right. Literally, there are people who base their spirituality on that. They'll go on Sunday and they won't feel fulfilled spiritually until they reach a certain fix. Again, I'm not trying to be overly critical here. But do we know sometimes where certain churches, full gospel churches, and their services will go on for hours? What are they doing oftentimes? You said what? Hypnotizing. Hypnotizing. The next person's got to have it. The next person's got, oh, I, I, I had this little fit, but it, wasn't, it didn't feel right this time, so I got to go back and I got to do it again. And then I got to get more people, and then I got to get, and before long, it goes on for several hours. Why? Because you've got to get it so it feels just right. So I can walk out and I have my sugar stick for my high for the week that will hopefully get me to at least Tuesday or Wednesday. Again, I'm not trying to be overly critical or judging, judgmental. Um, Star and then Dan. Star? Yeah. And what did, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 14? Let all things be done decently and in order. Right? He's right there saying, this is chaotic. This is not of God. We use it for our business meeting like Wednesday night. And there's a lot of other principles and applications. But the immediate context is that right there. You guys are a bunch of chaos causing 
Zerks, <laughs> you know. This is not of God. Yeah. Dan? Always. The struggle that we all have. Yep. We can't do this easy right. for a child of God. Right. We've certainly got to do more. Right. And, I, and I, some of them, I think it is just mm. a genuine belief right. that they have to do more yep. and God wants them to do more. Yep. And, yep. and it taps into that yep. emotion, it taps into that combination. Yep. But the, the, just being drawn into that idea that that's how you reach that next plane of God. Right. And, yep. And, and I, I think we can all fall victim to it when right. certain. Right. Satan telling us that, oh, that's not what God meant to say. Yeah. You need to do something else. Yeah, good point. So, which is more spiritual, having a gibberish experience or when someone cusses at you and calls you out and ticks you off at the workplace or at school, you actually answer with a soft answer. Whereas before, you would cuss right back and you would go at it. Now, with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you answer in a way that honors the Lord. Whereas before, you used to cuss them right back. Which is more spiritual, that or that gibberish thing you did on Sunday? We would point to the gibberish. The, the, the thing that we want to do is, well, I had that experience on Sunday. No, the more spiritual thing is that by God's grace and to His glory, I did not answer with whatever carnality. Instead of turning on that television or that screen, going to that website, I claimed a Bible verse and I did not go there. Which is more spiritual? That, which most men fell on, or that gibberish thing that they did on Sunday that gave them an experience. And we have our own. We're, we're being a little bit critical of the Pentecostal charismatic, but we have our own if we're not careful <coughs> We have our own things, if we're not careful. But the more spiritual thing is Galatians 5, Ephesians 4. And we have to remember the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I thought I saw another hand. I went, yes, Joey. good point. It gets out of control. It gets very chaotic. Yes, Nat? In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it almost seems that Paul is confirming the gift of tongues when you're praying. But comparing Scripture to Scripture, it would almost seem like it would be better if it's read, for he that thinks he speaks in the name of the Son. And basically, the idea is you and God may know what you were thinking at that time. Okay? But that's a mystery to the rest of us. So what does it do to actually benefit the church? If you go and you talk about it, you're showing off. Like you just did something no one else could do, and that makes you more spiritual. Paul's saying, Aunt, that's not at all what we're doing here. He's saying you need to be prophesying, in the sense you need to be instructing. What good does it do if you have this... I don't know, this gibberish with God. Yeah, God may know what you were thinking. God knows what you were doing. He's God. He's all-knowing. But what does benefit, does that, how does that edify the church? How does that instruct people in the ways of God, in the, in the words of God? 
Justin? Oh, right. People go to the same passage, right, in Romans 8 for the spirit uh, do with intercession. I can't quote it off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But uh, that same idea. Well, it's the Holy Spirit knows our thoughts and what we are trying to articulate. We've been there. The emotions are so hard. We don't even, we're confused, whatever, and we're, we're wanting to pour our hearts out to God. Well, Romans 8.26 is not exercising some gift of tongues. It's just simply saying in our prayers, as we converse with God, there are times we don't even know what to say. We don't even know how to word it. But God knows through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, even the deepest yearnings of our heart. Earl, and then we'll have to wrap things up. Go ahead. Right. And even in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he was taken up into the third heaven. And he said if anybody could claim to have had a out-of-body, heavenly experience and be able to talk about it, it would be me. But Paul said, I wasn't even allowed by God to talk about it. And as a matter of fact, so that I wouldn't be proud about it, he gave me the thorn in the flesh. Because he knew I needed to be humble about this. Because I couldn't even talk about what I experienced in heaven. But somehow a four-year-old can have, have, have an out-of-body experience and come back and sell books. But Paul, the greatest apostle, couldn't even come and talk about, in 1 Corinthians 12, what he experienced. Peter said, it's not about the Mount of Transfiguration and the experience of what I had there. He said, there's a more sure word of prophecy. So, good point. Thank you, Earl, for that. Any other, any other closing comments? Uh, Drew and then Doug, and then we'll have to wrap things up. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, it'd be blasphemy to put words in the Holy Spirit's mouth that he never said. Good point. Doug? Right, right, great point. Right, whose experience is better than the others? Whose is more spiritual, more enlightened? Right. 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 We should have believed Oral Roberts when he said, give me $8 million or I'll die. Right? Yeah, exactly. It becomes a competition of whose experience is the best or who heard the most or, yeah, you're exactly right. Good. This has been great. Um, thank you so much for your input. We'll uh, pick up again, Lord willing, next week. And so let's close in a word of prayer, and then we will get ready for the service. Lord, thank you for this uh, time of learning and instruction that we might truly know and understand spiritual gifts according to what your word teaches us. 
and not by our own thinking, our own feelings, or our own ideas. We just pray that, Lord, you will help us to truly orient and align our lives, Lord, by the revealed, uh, declared uh, truth of the Word of God uh, that you have uh, so faithfully uh, inspired and preserved for us. Help us be obedient to your truth and to live by it. Bless now the service to follow. Pray for Brother uh, Mike as he preaches that you will use him in a great way in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll get ready. The service to start in about 15 minutes. It's with us. David and Becky are here. So reach out to them. I know it's good to see them.